Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Just some housekeeping first, as you know, if you're a regular viewer, our telephone system was brought down during the last show. It was uh, part of a global breakdown of the global telephone company, which we use and pay good money to. The global telephone company was down for two hours and ten minutes, and our show lasted for two hours and nine minutes. So you didn't have to be Sherlock Holmes in order to work out what had happened. The telephone company refused to confirm or deny that they had been hacked, in which case we have now reported the matter to the police because it is a serious criminal offence to interrupt someone's communications, especially something that has an audience of one million viewers. As I can proudly announce to you, we have again this week more than one million viewers are not going to be interrupted by hooligan hackers. And if we are, we demand the protection of uh, Her Majesty's Constabulary. Mind you, there have still been no arrests of the man who sent an email in the early hours of the morning last week threatening to bomb the show, to blow it up with a bomb, and if the bomb failed, to knife me himself. This despite the fact that the man helpfully left his name and his photograph and the link to his blog spot on the threatening email. There's been a lot of police activity taking statements about when and where the email was received and by whom and who was told when about it. But the man, so far as I know, is still at large. Now, if I had been any political leader other than myself, and if this man had, say, been a Muslim, uh, he would already be behind bars. His door would have been kicked in hours after the threatening mail was sent, but none of that has happened, which is buttressing my already inclination uh, that it is now becoming impossible to work and operate in a free and democratic way in this country of Great Britain. We are being shadow banned, we are being strangled, we are being censored, we are being denied platforms, and now our show is being interrupted by hackers. We are being threatened with death uh, in the most condign circumstances, and nobody yet has been arrested. So I'm drawing the appropriate conclusions and will keep you posted in due course. But there's much, much bigger things happening today. I know Seymour Hersh. Well, he arranged, uh, when I lived in Battersea Rise in London, 
uh, for uh, several pages of a chapter of one of his books to be put through my letterbox, through my door, late on a Saturday evening. Uh, the pages concerned Robert Maxwell and his gun running and espionage activities. I presume that Seymour Hersh, whom at that stage I had never met, was uh, intending that I would use my then privileged position as a member of parliament to highlight the allegations made in the chapter, uh, which were, on the face of it, extreme, even outlandish. But no journal was able to publish these allegations by Seymour Hersh, then as now, the United States' preeminent investigative journalist, because Robert Maxwell had taken indictments, pre-publication indictments, against every newspaper, against every publisher, even against every bookshop, to ensure that Seymour Hersh would not be able to be heard. So I was proud to table a motion on that Monday morning in the House of Commons, which meant that every newspaper in the land could publish those allegations without fear of being sued by Maxwell. That which seemed extreme, even outlandish, before uh, my uh, tabling of the parliamentary motion quickly proved to be true and indeed only part of the truth. Robert Maxwell was revealed within a couple of weeks of that date as the biggest thief of the 20th century, stealing hundreds of millions of pounds from his own employees' pension funds. And all the allegations about gun running and about espionage on behalf of Israel turned out to be spectacularly true. So true that uh, Robert Maxwell then fell off the end of the boat or was he pushed? Perhaps we'll never know, but he either jumped or was pushed precisely because of the allegations unearthed by Seymour Hersh. And therefore, ever since, and that's more than 30 years, I guess, now, I have always looked forward to the publication of the latest investigation by Seymour Hersh, and today it came on his substack in a lengthy piece, he establishes beyond contradiction that the United States and its ally, Great Britain, blew up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which I described at the time as the greatest act of international terrorism since 9-11, and indeed just as far-reaching in its consequences. It's true that 3,000 people didn't die in the blowing up of the Nord Stream. But far more than 3,000 have died, will die, as a result of the interruption to and the superinflation of energy prices caused directly by that act of terrorism. The international situation became even more grave as a result of that act of international terrorism. And so it is possible to say that the act of terrorism that Hirsch reveals in his piece today is every bit as serious as the terrorist attack on the Twin Towers and elsewhere in the United States on 9-11-2001. That's a big claim that is 
absolutely substantively established by Seymour Hersh's article today. Now, Joe Biden has denied it, calling it an, a, a work of complete fiction. So it's up to you. Who do you believe, Joe Biden or the world's greatest investigative journalist, Seymour Hersh? Perhaps you should take a read of Hersh's piece before making your judgment. But if you believe Joe Biden, as I always say, I still have a bridge here in London that I could sell you going cheap. Now, as I say, I'm old enough to have been demonstrating outside the Houses of Parliament when a B-movie actor appeared before both houses in Westminster Hall, but it was nothing like the slut show that took place today at Westminster. The cross-dressing porn actor Vladimir Zelensky turned president of Ukraine was, well, basically greeted by people lying on their back with their legs open. They definitely were asking for it. They were asking to be humiliated still further. They were asking to be robbed still further. And they were asking to be dragged into what will become World War III and the end of humanity as we know it. And Macaulay, I think, talked about no fit, no, no sight more ridiculous than the British people in a fit of morality. That was demonstrated, at least within the Beltway, at least within the Westminster bubble today. It was a scene of mass hysteria. Not quite mass, there's only a few hundreds of them, but amongst that few hundreds, there was unanimity. There was unanimity that this man is the second coming, that this man is, as Andrew Marr, the erstwhile Trotskyite and Scottish nationalist turned fundament-licking right-wing uh, neoliberal, uh, described as uh, the equivalent of Nelson Mandela. Andrew Marr, uh, if you cast your mind back to what you were back then, uh, Zelensky is no Nelson Mandela. I knew Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela was a friend of mine. Zelensky is no Nelson Mandela. For a start, Nelson Mandela never put on a basque, suspenders, stockings and women's underwear and cavorted on television for a living. Nelson Mandela was never fated by all the chanceries of Europe and the kings and presidents of the so-called Western world, at least not until he'd served 28 years of penal servitude, most of it on a rock called Robben Island. Mandela had no support from Western governments. The Western governments conspired and collaborated with those who imprisoned Nelson Mandela and tens of millions of Africans in apartheid South Africa. The West supported apartheid South Africa until it literally collapsed. The West was still supporting apartheid South Africa even when the apartheid leaders had decided that the game was up and a settlement with Mandela in Polsmore Hospital would have to be negotiated. The West opposed Nelson Mandela 
and his African National Congress. I know because I was there. I was underground in apartheid South Africa on behalf of the African National Congress. I gave some of my blood on the floor of the Guguletu police station in apartheid South Africa. And of course, many thousands of the brave fighters of the ANC, of the freedom movement of Mkonte and Sezwe, the spear of the nation, gave their life, not the blood from their nose. And tens of thousands gave hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years put together in incarceration in the dungeons of apartheid. There was one country, however, in the whole world that was supporting Nelson Mandela. When America and Britain and France and Germany and all the others were supporting the Boers in the apartheid system, there was one country, at least, that was supporting Nelson Mandela, who was compared to Zelensky today. I'll leave you to work out what that one country was. But as I say, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to actually work it out. You don't have to work out who gave MK their weapons, who gave MK their uniforms, who gave them their rations, who flew them around the world, who maintained the base camp of the anti-apartheid liberation movement in Lusaka and elsewhere, who supported the freedom struggle in South Africa, in the United Nations, in every international fora, in the teeth of the opposition and hatred of every Western government. I myself sat in Parliament and saw Margaret Thatcher's lips move as she described Nelson Mandela, and I quote, as nothing more than a common terrorist. So don't dare compare this strutting pawn actor Zelensky to the great Nelson Mandela. We'll be talking about the war and how badly it's going. I'll be talking about it tomorrow night at the Oxford Union when I debate Ben Wallace, the Secretary of State for Defense, and his aide-de-camp, the head of the British Army. Two to one is decent odds, don't you think? I'm bringing my short sword. Ben, you better bring your tin hat, because I have plenty of ammunition to say to you. And lastly, on the subject of the balloon. It's difficult to credit how many apparently sane people in the United States of America fell for the great balloon hoax. You can understand how the Republicans wanted to embarrass Joe Biden about the fact that a Chinese weather balloon was able to cross the entire subcontinental North America uh, without being shot down. You can understand the Republicans until you know that the same weather balloon 
did exactly the same thing twice under the presidency of Donald Trump. You can understand Joe Biden's apparent ire at discovering that this happened on his watch, except it's the second time that it has happened on Joe Biden's watch. You could be forgiven for thinking that China had not informed the United States that their weather balloon had gone off course as a result of very unexpected crosswinds. But it turns out that China was in constant contact with the United States government on the exact position and purpose of this weather balloon. You'd be forgiven for thinking that China had committed some kind of unique or unprecedented offense until you discover that the United States has an entire fleet of these surveillance balloons flying over Russia, flying over China, flying over India, flying over anywhere that the United States wants to fly them. And yet, the newspapers duly rolled over, the television news broadcasts went haywire, went into hysterics about a common or garden balloon, a top gun in an F-16 was sent by Joe Biden to bring this balloon down. He did, at the third attempt, firing three sidewinder missiles when he could have leant out of the cockpit with a drawing pin at $400,000 per missile, $1.2 million worth of missile was used to bring down a $5,000 weather balloon. The world has gone crazy, but not here on the mother of all talk shows. Lean in for this detail. In the last seven days, more than one million people have watched this show. Thank you for being amongst them. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now we'll be talking later in the show about the devastating earthquake uh, which has struck Turkey and Syria. And we've got a poll running on it. Post-earthquake, should all sanctions against Syria 
be lifted. You can vote yes or you can vote no. If you are demonic, if you are a sadist, you can vote no. And some people actually have. Uh, so you can vote on my Twitter. You can vote on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to it while you're at it. You can vote on my Telegram channel, t.me forward slash George Galloway. And you can vote on the YouTube community poll. And a staggering 14,862 people have voted already. And the show is only just started. So get your vote in now. Post-earthquake, should all sanctions against Syria be lifted? A, yes, B, no. Now, Jamie Wright was unable to join us on Sunday uh, for technical reasons, but he is with us this evening. I told you he was a rising star, and you're about to find out that I am right. He's a political commentator, media analyst, and columnist, and based in Beijing. Jamie, welcome to the mother of all talk shows. Uh, tell us, if you will, how the story of the weather balloon is being covered in China. And what do the Chinese people know about it that we don't yet know? Hi, George. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I'd just like to say, um, first of all, um, sorry for um, to you and your audience uh, last week for not being able to join um, on the Sunday show. Not at all. So um, the, um, the, the Chinese uh, um, spy balloon story, um, well, if you'll forgive the pun, George, it's, um, it's not, nothing but hot air. And we can see this from uh, the rhetoric that's being used uh, from, the, um, from the US government. The actions taken uh, by the US government and um, the narratives pushed by the media. Now, uh, the language is key. So if we look at what the US government said versus what um, the media have said, the US government was very careful to talk um, to say surveillance. They, they, they carefully labeled it a surveillance balloon. Uh, the, 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 the spy balloon, um, that only came into public consciousness because of this wall-to-wall fear-mongering campaign orchestrated by um, the, the US media. Um, now, this is key because although surveillance and spying can be used interchangeably, um, they, the key difference is what is being surveilled. So we can have uh, you can have benevolent forms of um, surveillance. For example, you can have public health surveillance. You can have um, weather surveillance. Um, spying, on the other hand, is the act of collecting sensitive and secret information um, by covert means. Now, uh, this is key because um, the U.S. government uh, they admitted that this um, balloon presented no military um, intelligence or physical threat to people on the ground. Now, look, if the U.S. government seriously believed that this was a Chinese spy balloon, they would have blown it out of the sky um, this, the moment it entered U.S. airspace. In fact, they they would have um, done this perhaps even before it entered U.S. airspace, because we know the U.S. government doesn't have so many issues with um, launching missiles in another country's territory. So uh, this wouldn't have been allowed to enter into Alaska. It wouldn't have been allowed to cross across Canada. It wouldn't have been allowed to go state after state after state. Um, 
if we look at the narratives being used of why this wasn't shut down immediately, um, they said, oh, we was uh, concerned about the debris field. Well, that's that's quite a stark admission because what they're saying is they're saying the danger, the greatest danger posed by this is not the collection of sensitive or secret materials. The greatest danger is the threats to civilians on the ground if we blow it up. Now, if it was um, actually collecting uh, sensitive secret information that could be used against um, to harm the American people, they could say they, they would have taken the um, the position that the it's the lesser of two evils. Um, the, it, the best uh, thing to do is to shoot it down immediately and deal with the civilian um, casualties um, afterwards. So that's why i say george the 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 chinese spy balloon story is um it's a it's an exercise in propaganda it has been cynically used um by the media and the as say the us government to stoke up fear and uh drive this china threat narrative which is being used in turn um to uh, the um, is, which is being used in turn to um, build up um, military and um, alliances around China's um, shores, which we, we we just seen earlier this week in the likes of uh, Philippi- in the Philippines and Japan. We discovered, I discovered at least, maybe you knew it before me, but uh, I discovered yesterday that the Chinese government had been in touch with the American government throughout the slow and stately, somewhat beautiful progress of this big white uh, weather balloon uh, across the United States. They, they uh, never tried to conceal that it was their balloon. Uh, they explained how it had gone off course. They tried to help the United States in anticipation of what course the winds were likely to take it uh, uh, upon. Um, and yet quite the contrary uh, impression was given uh, by the media and the political class in the United States. It wasn't taken all that seriously in Europe, uh, which uh, may be an illustration of Oscar Wilde's uh, a famous uh, statement that we are two countries divided by a common language. It was regarded more of a joke uh, in Europe but it was taken deadly serious as an act of war in the United States, when of course it was anything. But actually, technically, the only act of war was in shooting down a Chinese uh, peaceful, unarmed uh, aircraft down over Montana. Well, that's, that's right, George. So, uh, like you say, the Chinese government was in contact um, with Washington um, throughout, um, advising them, trying to... Um, lower down the tensions and as they resolve this matter um as i say peacefully calmly but the um the us obviously had resolved to um shoot it out of the sky once it left um once once it was over uh, shallow waters off the coast of america um but in regards we, we we see this this is part of um the us um is essentially at war with china um a couple of years ago we could say that it was just a trade war. Um, however, now under the Biden administration, it's quite clearly uh, Trump's trade war has um, exploded into a full-blown Cold War. Now, uh, the U.S. Cold War um, against China has um, crucially four components. It has um, an economic component. It has a military component. It has a um, ideological component 
component and it also has a the propaganda component. Now, just to quickly run through these, on um, the economic front, we see the uh, Biden administration has advanced uh, Trump's trade war, um, say sanctions, um, technology restrictions, etc. Um, on the ideological front, we've seen uh, when US President uh, Joe Biden first gave his um, address as President of the United States, he talked about um, that this is a um, battle between democracies and autocracies. So he he was um, he he was there and then, essentially trying to divide the world into two um, ideological um, blocks, two Cold War blocks. And then when he went to the uh, G seven meeting and his first um, his first international platform, he used the G seven um, to rally this new coalition of the willing. Um, and then we can see this going into the military front. So on the on the military front, we have uh, we've seen the uh, the US um, um, recruit. Uh, they say the UK and Australia as junior partners in this AUKUS uh, military um, arrangement. We see the Quad. We see um, say greater ties with Japan. Um, so. Oh, and also we see uh, NATO uh, now, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, now talking about China and over the next 10 years, um, the next decade, it's going to be focusing on China. Um, so this 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 is what we see. Uh, that's the economic front, the ideological front, uh, the, um, the military front, and crucially, uh, the propaganda front. Now, the reason why I'm so concerned about the propaganda front is because I'm not so concerned about, um, say, the U.S.'s actions militarily and these alliances, et cetera, because I'm, I'm not surprised. It's like it would almost be akin to getting um, to getting angry, getting upset at a dog for barking or water for being wet. The U.S. government is, uh, as I say, war is in its DNA and people understand this. However, um, the media... Um, we, we, we have a belief in the media that they are there to hold power to account, um, not to act as cheerleaders for war. But unfortunately, this is exactly what we're seeing. Everything that China does is being used, um, is being framed through a China threat narrative. We see um, the US and Japan, um, they increase military, um, as I say, alliance. And it's always for uh, to respond to the China threat. The UK did the same with Japan. Um, just last week, the US has um, opened four, well, is planning to open four new military bases um, in the Philippines. And um, that brings the total to nine. It has um, a collection of bases in Japan, um, a collection of bases in South Korea. So all, all of this, it's um, it, the media is framing the US as some benevolent force um, in responding to the China threat. However, um, we can see who is the real threat, uh, but unfortunately, the media has um, resolved to take a different approach. Well, only an idiot would believe that the United States was a benevolent uh, force. Uh, unfortunately, there are quite a lot of idiots, uh, and uh, <laughs> most of them have got at least a dozen Twitter accounts, uh, each under their uh, control. There are paid trolls, of course. Uh, and I'm only astonished at the low grade of those paid trolls. I suppose it's a sign of the times. Once upon a time, we were, we, we used to employ James Bonds. Now we employ, I don't know, Bernard Mannings or, uh, or, 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 uh, or uh, uh, Austin Powers. 
we, we, we've gone way, way, way low grade. We've gone low rent in the kind of people that we've got acting for us nowadays. But anyone in the right mind knows uh, that China doesn't have military bases around us. It's we that have got military bases around them. That their navy is not sailing around us. It's our navy that's sailing around them. Indeed, it would be good if the British navy was sailing around us because then we'd be able to stop the 65,000 illegal migrants arriving from France just 27 miles off the coast. Instead, we're patrolling the South China Sea instead of the English Channel. Everyone with a brain can see what's going on. And so uh, that's why the propaganda uh, investment has been made. It's also why people like you and me uh, soon uh, have got to be working in China or somewhere like it because they simply can't bear to have people like you tell the truth here in Britain. Am I right? Well, that, that's right, George. That's completely right. Um, the, um, the, the the British media um, probably wouldn't like to, um, say, employ you or I, um, particularly to talk about, um, say, China um, matters. Um, I, I, I looked at uh, this, um, what was it, on the, 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 the anniversary, the 100th anniversary of the uh, uh, the. the Communist Party of China. Now you just look. At, you have to look at who uh, the media gave platform to. Um, so, the Wall Street Journal gave a platform to um, the a, um, a former board member at the National Endowment of Democracy. Now we all we all know um, what that outfit is all about. Um, this CNBC gave a platform to um, a senior. Uh, person at the um, Atlantic Council. Um, Foreign Affairs went with the strategic, um, the Centre for Strategic um, and International Studies, and um, The Guardian went with somebody from the Lowy Institute. Now, universities are packed with uh, China experts, scholars, um, media scholars, say China scholars, and they didn't. They, They went with ideologues. They went with people who will bang the drums of war. And I thought that was extremely key. So, no, you're right. Um, the, the the UK media, the, the Western media in general, the corporate media in general, they're, they're not going to give platforms to people who um, com- who criticise, who deviate too far away from the official narrative. And the official narrative, unfortunately, that's being pushed is China is the number one threat. Just as Iraq and Afghanistan were the number one threat post 9-11, we, the public, were being lied to. Uh, China is not the number one threat. China does not have uh, bases surrounding the US or the UK or Europe for that matter. China is interested in trading with the world and say this is what we see in the, the Belt and Road Initiative. They're building infrastructure while the US and its is, a, is building military alliances and uh, bases. Well, uh, I think the best uh, answer I ever heard from a Chinese official was, we are well aware that the United States could destroy China many times over. We are content that China can destroy the United States only once. I thought that as an example of Chinese savoir-faire and understatement, that was absolutely uh, perfect. Now tell me this, and I'm sure all of our viewers will be asking. First of all, they'll have worked out that uh, you're some class of Liverpudlian, 
And secondly, they'll be asking, how come you're in Beijing working? Well, yeah, that's right. Uh, so um, as a born, um, born and brought up on, um, in Merseyside, and um, I studied at the University of Liverpool. And that's where I, um, I met a wonderful and beautiful um, Chinese woman. Um, and that changed my path. And um, I say I, I had no intention of coming to China, um, say before, before I met this um, wonderful um, woman. Is that, her, is that her giving you a row? No. I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry for that, George. I, I do apologize. Um, so yes, um, that, that, that was what happened. Um, I say I, I met um, a wonderful, beautiful woman and um, I came to uh, Beijing without knowing any um, language whatsoever. And um, that, 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 was my, that was my story. And then as I, I began to work as um, an English editor and a columnist, um, I, my, my, my preferred choice um, of um, topics to cover is mainly uh, US-China relations, uh, geopolitics, the shifting world order. Uh, we're, we're obviously, as you know, we're, we're moving into um, a multipolar world order right now, and that is what the US is obviously concerned about. Um, and also, I... I, I I've, I've been forced to um, combat um, media, um, obvious media propaganda when it can, comes to China, because as I'm, 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 I'm deeply concerned about the narratives which are being pushed um, into people's consciousness, particularly amongst the young people. Um, that this, this is who I, as I say, I'd like to try to speak to. Um, please just educate yourself on the art of propaganda. We're being lied to. China's not the number one threat, and if if you if you are interested in say looking into the art of propaganda, a good place to start would be with um, Noam Chomsky's and Edward Herman's um, propaganda model. And um, yeah, it's just just look look um, look look into propaganda and how it's being used. Your 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 um, consent is being manufactured. Yeah, or, but they don't even seek our consent, uh, but they do implicitly have the consent of many. It doesn't take many sheepdogs to round up a lot of sheep. Are you Liverpool or Everton? <laughs> Liverpool. I'm a red. Uh, well, your team's uh, sinking uh, fast. Uh, I'm sorry Indeed. to say. <laughs> now, uh, listen, I'll be in China next month. Uh, make sure you hook up with me. Jamie Wright, oh, fantastic. thank George. you very much indeed for joining us in the mother of all talk shows. Post-earthquake, should all sanctions against Syria be lifted? On Twitter, yes, 84. No, 16%. Who are these 16% of sadists? I want to hear from you. Come on, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. If you voted no on that poll and you want sanctions to continue on Syria in the wake of that earthquake, you better call me on 0808196552. Or what? Are you a gutless coward? If you're in the US or Canada, plus one, 844-944-3344. If you voted no, what? Are you a gutless coward? Call the show. If you're in the rest of the world, 442039662625. Now, let me take a quick break, and then it's William in New York on the Chinese balloon. Up, up, and away! The 1897 edition of War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Read 
by George Galloway. Available only on Patreon. The cylinder was artificial, hollow, with an end that screwed out. Something within the cylinder was unscrewing the top. Good heavens, said Ogilvy. There's a man in it, men in it, half roasted to death, trying to escape. At once, with a quick mental leap, he linked the thing with the flash on Mars. The thought of the confined creature was so dreadful to him that he forgot the heat and went forward to the cylinder to help turn. But luckily, the dull radiation arrested him before he could burn his hands on the still-glowing metal. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows with George Galloway. More chapters of The War of the Worlds out now on my Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash George Galloway and more chapters still to come. Seven Pillars of Wisdom by T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, probably will be the one coming up next. And I think with my good friend Simon, it's about time for another George's Best Football podcast, this time on the travails of Manchester City. As Oscar Wilde said on the death scene in Charles Dickens' Little Nell, you'd have to have a heart of stone not to laugh. William is in New York. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, William. Hey, George. How are you this evening? All good. Thank you very much. What would you like to say? Well, first about the Chinese balloon. I mean, it's the U.S. always needs a white whale. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, <laughs> the uniparties that exist in the so-called Western democracies that offer the illusion of choice. And George, power only ever serves power. They are deliberately starting a new Cold War. And who profits from that? Certainly not the people of any country, only the existing power, no. power structure. I, I, I'll like be happy if it remains a Cold War, William. I, I'm more concerned that it's going to be far from cold. Well, George, George, I can understand your concern, but in studying history, as long as the right pockets are being filled, okay, uh, the end of the world is not going to come. Uh, Hope you're right, and, uh, mate. Anyway, go on. Okay. And my country has not even, you know, lifted the sanctions against Syria, where we have almost destroyed that country. And we ha we've uh, abandoned the illusion of a humanitarian America. At least that illusion is gone. Yeah, uh, at least that's yeah. gone. Uh, except, except in Ward 5 in Broadmoor, uh, the hospital for the criminally insane. And I'm sure there's a U.S. Uh, equivalent. Uh, it has quite a lot of patients, Ward 5 in Broadmoor. But uh, they are at least all demonstrably mental. Well, if they could take 500 from our uh, Congress... And uh, <laughs> nine from our Supreme Court and a couple it's, from the executive branch. We'd be happy to ship them to you. Uh, 
is, it is, what, it is one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I saw a stunning uh, meme last night. Uh, my editor thought it was in too poor taste for us to use, uh, to which I say piffle. But uh, the, uh, the, the meme was, it was a little, uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, a little cartoon of uh, Joe Biden with his trousers fallen down, shuffling along the road with his picture of Hunter and his little Ukrainian flag, clearly lost and uh, dazed and confused. And that struck me as the perfect metaphor for the political leadership of the most powerful country uh, that the world has ever known. Uh, if that's not insanity, I don't know what is, William. Well, George, what, what, what can you say about it? It's an, the, well, George, what you're doing is probably the most important thing. People are talking and communicating and seeing that we have so much more in common than we have that separates us. Yeah. Okay, and, and thank yeah, you for keeping William, yeah. uh, no, no, not at all. Uh, William, we've been thrown together. Uh, I would have preferred it uh, if, uh, if uh, the ocean could uh, divide us. Uh, I would far have pre preferred it if uh, Britain could have been, as it is geographically, a European country, if it could have been a global force for good. Uh, but we've been thrown together again. Uh, we are effectively one country, your country and mine. Uh, you as the head, uh, us as the tail. Uh, and uh, we might as well at least respond to our rulers uh, being joined at the hip. Uh, we might as well respond by joining ourselves at the hip. So everyone who opposes them in the United States and everyone who opposes them in the United Kingdom and in the rest of the English-speaking world, we're all going to have to come together. Uh, we'll be the counter-Anglosphere, if you like. Absolutely. But, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I don't think the politicians in the U.S. and uh, England are connected at the hip. I think it's a good deal of buggery because that's what they try to do to us every day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a good deal uh, of that. Maybe God will turn them all into pillars of salt. William, thank you uh, very much uh, for that. Everything's running behind because of the cyber attack which delayed the beginning of the show. So let me throw now to the video that my good wife Gayatri made, a rather good one, I think, on the earthquake. Here it is. The people of Syria have been hit by a whole series of earthquakes and for more than a decade. First, they were hit by a wave of foreign jihadists, waiters from Cardiff, warehousemen from Walthamstow, from all over Europe and North America, they came. They came to cut throats and chop heads off and to murder aid workers and priests and even bishops, all to destroy the secular republic of the Syrian Arab Republic, and the West aided and abetted all of it. They gave the knives to the throat cutters. They gave them even more deadly weapons than that, and they gave them money, and they gave them Toyota pickup trucks. They did everything they could to destroy Syria. And when the Syrian Arab army began to prevail, 
they launched their own cruise missiles and their rockets from onboard ships and from air and land. They bombarded Syria almost round the clock. Indeed, Syria continues to be bombed almost round the clock by Israel, supported by Western countries and armed by those Western countries. And when that didn't work, they imposed a set of economic sanctions on Syria, which were determined to return it to the Stone Age. Syria is completely isolated and completely besieged. Now that a natural earthquake, at least we must presume it is a natural earthquake, has devastated Turkey and Syria, and hundreds of Syrians have been killed, thousands have been maimed, hundreds of thousands have been made homeless, they still won't lift the sanctions. On the midweek mother of all talk shows, Wednesday night at 9 p.m. UK time, we're asking the poll question. Post-earthquake, should all economic sanctions be lifted on Syria? You can vote yes, or if you're particularly demonic, you might want to vote no. The point is, really, that this war on Syria has to come to an end. Syria's only crime was to be a secular Arab Republic. Syria's only crime was to be friends with Russia. This war on Syria is war on Russia by proxy. And in the wake of an earthquake, that's not a good look. So come all ye Christian gentlemen, all ye God-fearing members of the press, why don't you at least still your voices for war if you cannot raise them for peace. That shabby old ruin was me. Uh, the property uh, is not in Syria or in Turkey. Uh, but there is a call. It's from Carl in London on that very earthquake. Go ahead, Carl. Yeah, I just wanted to phone up and talk about... I don't think this earthquake was natural. I think it was... Um, I think America triggered this earthquake. Because they're having problems with Turkey at the moment. Like, Turkey's getting more closer with Russia. They're getting more closer with Assad, with peace talks. Just last week, nine Western countries closed their embassies in Turkey. And I, I, when it happened last week, I said something big is going to happen in Turkey to my family. And then what do you know what happened? This big, massive um, earthquake. I think it was triggered by the um, heart weapon technology. Yeah, have you got any evidence uh, for that, Carl? Uh, it is a, a, a remarkable uh, coincidence that uh, there was an earthquake uh, on Iran uh, last week and an earthquake on Turkey and Syria this week. Uh, it could be a, a lamentable coincidence or it could be something else. Uh, as you saw me in that video that Gayatri made, uh, I did make the point that we must presume uh, that it is a natural earthquake. But my mind's open to other suggestions, so make your case. Yeah, it just seems a bit um, dodgy. Like it was like um, really um, weird time. I, I even said last week something was going to happen. But why did the nine Western countries pull their embassies out? And they gave no reason as well. Isn't Turkey supposed to be a NATO ally? So they don't share. Who were? Uh, with their NATO I didn't ally. know. Um, I didn't know that, Carl. I, I didn't know that, Carl. Who were the nine countries? Do you know any of them? Uh, I know America, Britain was one of them. I can't remember the rest. Maybe France and Holland and Belgium and Italy. 
I can't remember all the rest of them. But I know that we'll have to we'll have to check. Yeah, we'll have to check that out because I I didn't hear that, and I I keep pretty close eye on the on the news, particularly from that part of the world. But it is undoubtedly true that Turkey's relations with the United States are currently absolutely poisonous. Turkey is leaning towards Russia. Turkey is leaning towards reconciliation with the Syrian government under President Bashar al-Assad. Syria has prevailed against the United States and its satrapies and, and, uh, and dogs uh, of war uh, and has maintained uh, itself and has now liberated most of its country, apart from the oil-producing part, which is still occupied by the United States. Even Palestine was hit by this uh, earthquake uh, around Nablus uh, on a much reduced scale, about 4.3. But uh, even Palestine was hit by this uh, earthquake. So as I say, uh, it, it could be, probably is, uh, just a quite extraordinary coincidence that all of the United States enemies... Uh, are beginning to be hit by earthquakes. Uh, who can tell? Carl, thanks very much indeed for the call. Hadi Nasrallah, who is an independent commentator of the highest rank, a man that reaches millions with the best of his work, focused on Syria, Lebanon, and global jihadist terrorism, which puts him right up my street, and I'm very glad to welcome him back to the mother of all talk shows. Hadi, welcome to the show. Hello, George. Thank you for having me again. My condolences, first of all, uh, to the people of Turkey and Syria and also uh, Palestine, who have now suffered this totally devastating earthquake, which has killed many thousands of people, maimed many thousands more, and caused the homelessness and, uh, and complete dereliction of uh, many hundreds of thousands of people. Can you uh, bring us up to date with the scale of the carnage? So, first of all, uh, let's talk at the beginning when the earthquake happened. Uh, it happened across the entire region, and one of the main cities that was affected is Beirut, where, I'm, where I, my family lives right now. And we all thought that something big was going on. Uh, the next morning we woke up to find out that the earthquake did a big one happen in Turkey and its aftermath were devastating parts of Syria, which is northern Syria close to the borders of Turkey, where the earthquake uh, initially happened. Uh, the devastation is horrible. A lot of cities cannot be reached in Turkey. People cannot, there are still people stuck under the rubble alive. Unfortunately, now it's been three days and a lot of them have been dying since day one because, not just because of the lack of food, lack of uh, medicine, but because the temperature is very cold. It's It reached in some areas in Syria and Turkey, minus five, and uh, it started snowing, unfortunately, and a lot of uh, ambulances cannot get access to some cities. More than... Uh, Estima estimating more than 1,600 buildings in Aleppo alone has fell. 
that's uh, other than the buildings in Idlib who were devastated as well. Uh, in Syria, had there, there have been a confirmation of 1,600 civilians killed. Uh, the total number between Turkey with Turkey is uh, around uh, 11,000, as uh, it was confirmed latest. And WHO estimated the numbers to rise and uh, to to become 20,000 people killed in both countries. I saw that UNRWA referred to 56,000 Palestinian refugees in Syria, uh, whose camps I know myself personally very well. Uh, they also are in uh, desperate need. So it seems that the whole situation in Syria uh, is uh, particularly dire because uh, of the state of siege in which Syria is held. Uh, God bless Turkey and the Turkish people, but at least they have a state which controls all of its territory and which is not under siege and sanction and is receiving a very great deal, as well they should, uh, of, uh, of international aid. But Syria, not. Uh, now, I mentioned earlier, and in my video I said, uh, you may or you may not want to lift sanctions on Syria. If you're a sadist, you won't. If you are a demon, uh, you won't. But other than that, how can anyone support continuing a siege and sanctions on a country that's just been devastated by an earthquake? I mean, if we're going to talk about the sanctions, the sadistic sanctions, demonic to be exact, because what the Syrians have been going through throughout the decade of war has been worsened a hundred times because of the sanctions. There's a lot of things to talk about when it comes to that, but I want to just make clear about three main misconceptions that people are using to justify the sanctions on Syria. And one of them is saying that the sanctions are there to stop the war or to punish the war criminals, uh, what they call. And just to make things clear that the sanctions on Syria have been happening since 2004 under Bush in America. And that was seven years before the war even happened in Syria. So there, there is a hegemony policy happening because of the sanctions. It's not about the war. It's not about punishing war crimes because a lot of U.S. allies were committing horrific war crimes in Syria and they still got funds and money and weapons. Uh, the second misconception here is that the sanctions, uh, that the sanctions do not uh, affect humanitarian aid, which is very funny to me because if you read the Caesar sanctions, yes, it does say that we're going to allow humanitarian aid to go into Syria, but there's a lot of process to go through that. And by the time you go through them, people will have already been killed. And the problem here is not just humanitarian aid. People need to rebuild their homes. I'm not just going to go to some family who lost their home in Aleppo and give them one sandwich and a few bandage and then tell them, oh, you can't rebuild your home. You can't get actual medicine. You can't do surgery just because the hospitals, all industries or, or health departments are sanctioned by the U.S. Our problem here is ju not just humanitarian aid. It's the lives of Syrians that have been affected daily in all ways because of the sanctions. The third thing is here that some people are saying sanctions are not the real issue in Syria. I'm just going to give one example. Just ask that question to the 500,000, half a million Iraqi child who have been killed by sanctions. And one of the officials of the U.S. regime said that the price was worth it. This is not what we want to repeat in Syria. So for me, as Quite so, and unfortunately, uh, so let's, uh, let's uh, move yeah. on. Yeah, let, let, let's move on. 
What is the state of affairs on this? The Syrian government, I saw uh, the foreign minister, Magdad, uh, call for a lifting of the sanctions to allow aid to flow uh, to the people of Syria. Has there been an official response to that? Uh, there hasn't been an official response to that specifically, but I can assure you that that came after, only after some countries and some friends in Syria already broke the siege with, by neglecting completely the Caesar Act. And they basically uh, belittled the U.S. decision on sanctioning Syria, which pressured uh, the U.S. to come out and say, oh, no, we're allowing humanitarian aid, which is completely not true. They were not allowing, and a lot of countries, including Greece, they refused to help Syria because of the sanctions. So the countries who actually went there to help Syria, they did that despite the U.S. decision. Yeah, for sure. And those were uh, Iran and, and Russia. Uh, there may be one or two others, but Iran and there Russia. There are like Iran's I, countries. I absolutely Pakistan. know about it. I've seen the uh, Pakistan also. I've seen the airplanes uh, there. But it's, it's about money. For example, I could not send money right now. If I wanted to, and I do, I want to send money to the suffering people in Syria. I cannot because there are, under the Caesar Act, complete financial sanctions on Syria. Yes. And the, the horrific part here is if we want to talk about funds, let's give an example about GoFundMe which is everyone knows what GoFundMe is, they already shut down more than 42 funds with over 10K euros and dollars that the money was going to Syria. They shut them down and they froze the money. Literally hours later, they posted a tweet said that, congratulations, we raised 100K on GoFundMe for the white helmets. So this is the hypocrisy we're talking about here. So you allow funds for groups who are openly working with terrorist organizations and you, you, you stop funds and you freeze all the funds that have been raised to innocent civilians in cities like Aleppo just because they are under uh, under, under some un, inhumane sanctions that have been imposed by a regime that's responsible for devastating entire regions uh, on this planet. Now, Aleppo is, of course, one of the jewels of the Orient. I know it well. Uh, it is... Uh, it's had a British honorary consul uh, for 800 years in Aleppo. 800 years, the very first diplomatic post because of its strategic importance on the Silk Road. Uh, 800 years it has had a British honorary consul there. I know the family well. Uh, it is liberated from ISIS and Al-Qaeda and the, uh, uh, the uh, alphabet soup of extremist throat cutters that uh, held it prisoner for so long, you'd think the British and the others would be rushing aid into Aleppo, wouldn't you? Well, I'm not surprised that they're not because they already have been responsible for destroying Aleppo before. Why would they want to help it now? during the siege of Aleppo 2016, when it was being bombed indiscriminately by jihadists backed directly by the UK and the US. So I don't think they feel bad. And just to make things, to, to give even like more, highlight more about the hypocrisy of the UK and the US and other Western countries, they spent billions, billions of dollars to help, and NATO, to help the jihadists in Idlib. They were using three main entrances from the Turkish borders 
the entrances are open now. All like the all the roads are open, but none of them gave one dollar or sent one volunteer to help the people of Idlib right now under the rubble because of the earthquake. So you gave billions to those people to carry weapons and fight for you. But now when they actually need you, you don't come and help them. And they are in Idlib, so they don't need to talk with Bashar al-Assad. They've already been entering uh, illegally to Syria from Turkey to, to Idlib and north, some parts of North Syria. Now those roads are open and you're not entering to help those the same people you armed to fight Bashar al-Assad, but now you're leaving them just to die. And a lot of Syrians in Idlib are criticizing that. They said you made us carry weapons to fight for you. And now when we actually need you, you're not here. That's very powerful, uh, Hadi. Uh, is there anything that the audience can do, anywhere you can point them, uh, to do what they can, what they're able to do, uh, in the knowledge that it will directly go to help the people in Syria? Uh, there's a lot of things people can do, and one of them is basically donating to a lot. To a lot of uh, there's a lot of humanitarian organizations working on the ground in Syria who are helping everyone, and they're posting all the funds where they're going, their everything that they're buying for the Syrians. And I would like uh, direct everyone to the Red Crescent, which is the official one helping mo most of the Syrians right now. And if you go on their Twitter, they can show you like the links where to donate, how to send money, and how you can help around the world. Hadi Nasrallah, thank you and God bless the people of Lebanon, Syria, Turkey, Palestine and all those affected in this region. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, I was going to take the slow balloon route to the United States to talk with Bryce Green, but I've got him on the line, so I'm going rocket fast there now because he is a very important guest indeed. He's an independent writer, political analyst. He's been a guest on the show before and was extraordinarily popular uh, with the viewers. We're glad to see him back. Bryce Green, welcome uh, to the show. I had so much to talk to you about before I read Seymour Hersh's, I think, uh, epic uh, analysis of the blowing up of the Nord Stream about which we have spoken before. Did he persuade you? I think he did. Um, and this was something that uh, a lot of people on the left had suspected. A lot of people who were critical of, you know, the, the Biden, Blinken, Newland, all of them, critical of their motives in Ukraine, critical of how they would, uh, you know, treat their so-called ally Germany. Um, we suspected that the United States would have something to do with it. Uh, there was also some speculation about the United Kingdom having something to do with it. Uh, but the detail with which Cy Hirsch was able to report on this, I think it gives it a lot of credibility. Now, uh, Cy Hirsch, he's very well connected within the intelligence communities. He's reported on numerous stories, numerous important stories from the Mai Lai massacre in, uh, in Vietnam in 1969 to Abu Ghraib in Iraq. 
to reporting about the Skripal poisoning. Uh, a lot of this stuff it comes from the heart of the intelligence community. And what Hirsch described, I think it's very credible, and we can go into that in some more detail. Yes, I, I, I want people to read the piece, but I'd love you to, as it were, review it. it uh, the long and short of it is, is that the Biden administration had conceived of the plan of destroying the pipeline as far back as fall of 2021, uh, months before the Russian invasion actually began. Uh, now, why would they be doing this is one of the critical questions that uh, I think that uh, a lot of mainstream discussion really uh, avoids. For a long time, the U.S. has been opposed to the Nord Stream pipeline. The pipeline is able to transport natural gas uh, cheaply from Russia to Germany uh, to help fuel Germany's industrial economy. Now, a close link between Russia and Germany has long been uh, opposed to what U.S. has in mind for Europe. Um, in fact, the entire impetus of NATO, in effect, was to keep Germany down, keep the Americans in, and keep the Russians out. Uh, and that hasn't changed over the last decades. And when Germany announced the plan for the Nord Stream pipeline, the U.S. did everything it could to oppose the pipeline, uh, all the way to the point where, at in fall of 2021, they were actually discussing plans to blow up the pipeline. Uh, and when the war started, uh, and before the war, around the around the beginning of the war, uh, the Biden administration, you know, both Biden and Victoria Newland, they gave the press some very cryptic statements about how they felt towards the pipeline. Uh, Biden at one point said that uh, the Nord Stream pipeline will not go forward. And when asked about how he would be able to stop a, a German Russian project, uh, he he said, you know, you know, he emphasizes, like, we will be able to get it done. Uh, and later, Victoria Newland said something along the similar lines. Uh, and what Cy Hirsch reported was that this was at the time where the plan was actually already underway, already in its planning stages going uh, and going forward. And according to Hirsch's reporting, the Norwegian government uh, actually assisted the U.S. in a lot of the logistics of this. In fact, uh, according to Hirsch, the plant, the actual planting of the explosives occurred during a Norwegian exercise uh, in March. So months before the actual explosion. And at the last minute, the Biden administration worried that detonating it uh, so close to the end of these exercises might implicate the uh, the West, might implicate the United States. And so they you know, tried to do some last minute changes to make sure that they could detonate it at a time of their choosing. And, well, the rest is history. I mean, we saw the fact that the uh, we saw the pipeline explode. We saw the U.S. officials line up almost unanimously and point the finger at Russia without any evidence. And we saw the U.S. media system uh, completely repeat that line and not even explore the possibility that the United States might have had something to do with it, might have had anything, uh, any advanced knowledge. And, you know, this is despite all of those statements that I was talking about, all these years of opposition to the pipeline, all that was completely ignored or in favor of blaming Russia without evidence. Well, in the words of Groucho Marx, who are you going to believe, me or the evidence of your own lying eyes? Uh, with our own lying eyes, we saw 
uh, all of these threats. We saw Newland, we saw Biden, uh, we heard what they said, and now uh, the world's greatest investigative journalist has given us chapter and verse, and we can believe Biden or we can believe him. Uh, poor fools us if we believe Biden. Uh, but that makes your country uh, both uh, a terrorist and liar. Uh, must make some people wonder, surely, uh, Bryce, whether or not we're on the right side here. You're exactly right. But our country, I'm sure you know, is no stranger to being terrorists or to being liars. Um, you can point to you know anything in the last decade of U.S. behavior, let alone the last 80, 70 years of U.S. behavior, uh, to show that the U.S. has no, no, uh, no objection to harming its allies. I mean, we spied on Angela Merkel's phone. Um, we have no, uh, uh, no qualms about deceiving our own people, about deceiving our own publics. Uh, the disinformation that led us into Iraq is, you know, something of a legend by now, but there are so many other things. Everything we've been told about Libya, about Syria, the sanctions that you were just discussing, we'd never talk about those. Uh, and, and so uh, everyone who, is, who blindly follows the, the lines of, you know, anonymous U.S. officials or officials from the intelligence community, well, they're participating in a grand deception in, in American society that allows U.S. power to legitimize itself by uh, distorting reality and in a sense, creating their own reality for the American viewers, for American uh, media consumers, uh, for American voters. And that if we're, if we're ever going to have any sort of uh, uh, serious change in how power is distributed around the world, we need to first confront what we're really dealing with. And we're dealing with a system that uh, deals heavily in terrorism and propaganda and obfuscation, distortion, all all sorts of tricks to obscure reality. And if the U.S. is willing to bomb a pipeline, lie about it, it's allies' pipeline and lie about it, well, then we need to confront this. We need to figure out, well, how are we going to deal with the realities of U.S. empire? I wonder what the impact, Bryce, will be on German public opinion. Uh, here we have uh, pretty definitive proof not just that the United States committed this crime against their country, against their economy, uh, against their vital infrastructure, uh, but that the little dogs that run around uh, behind uh, the United States or the rats that follow the elephant feeding on its dropping, uh, like Norway and others, uh, participated indeed the case of Norway, according to Hirsch, was uh, a vital component of this attack on Germany. You wonder, don't you, what the impact on German public opinion uh, this will have? Have they no dignity left? I've always wondered uh, how Germans have been able to be subjugated by the Americans for so long when it's so obvious that that's what the U.S. is doing. In fact, this entire war uh, uh, was started in part because of this desire to separate Germany and Russia so that Germany could not have the access to the cheap LNG, the cheap 
natural gas from Russia to feed its manufacturing sector. In fact, this was actually discussed in uh, the RAND report from 2019. The same RAND report, your listeners and viewers might be familiar with this. This is the one that suggested that the best way to overextend Russia would be to pour weapons into Ukraine, even though the report acknowledged that that may cause Russia to invade. Uh, another section of that report said that part of the critical uh, uh, objectives of the U.S. should be to get Europe off of na uh, Russian natural gas and to put it on American natural gas. And, you know, you can see uh, American uh, natural gas companies, their profits are through the roof. So they're happy. But, you know, you're seeing headlines in the business press about how Germany's manufacturing sector is suffering, how it's at a serious risk point. And so at some point you have to wonder, why are they letting this happen? And it seems that Germany was actually very hesitant about getting involved in this entire proxy war to begin with. Uh, they were very hesitant to send the Leopard tanks, which they just sent. Uh, and they didn't do it until the U.S. agreed to send uh, its own tanks. Um, and even if you go back earlier in the war, you can find a lot of uh, resistance to the U.S.-led proxy war on behalf of Germany. And I suspect it's because a lot of them understand what's happening to them. Uh, and I don't know why. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on that I'll never be privy to. But for some reason, they're unable to break this hole that the U.S. has over them. Uh, and in fact, just last week, German officials were quoted uh, in the press as saying that they're open to the possibility that the West was behind this attack. Uh, and, and so that's starting to be discussed openly. And then this morning you have Seymour Hersh's piece drop. I can only imagine the conversations that are going on between uh, German and American diplomats and also between Germans uh, themselves. How are they going to handle their country after their sovereignty has clearly been challenged by the United States? It was threatened before, but now it's been directly challenged. Uh, it will be interesting to see how this turns out, to see whether or not the German people will uh, accept uh, uh, accept that their government is going to kowtow to the United States, or are they going to assert their own sovereignty? Are they going to assert their own right to make a deal with Russia if they decide to to make a deal with uh, uh, you know uh, Russia, China, uh, the U.S. enemies? Uh, are they going to be able to conduct diplomacy as a sovereign nation, or are they going to be uh, chained to the United States for the foreseeable future. And that's a serious question uh, that has a, a lot of bearing on the future of uh, Europe as, a, as an entity in general. Yeah, they're open to the possibility that bears defecate in the woods and that the Pope might be a Catholic uh, also. Now, you had a narrow escape, Bryce, from a big white Chinese uh, weather balloon and the president reviewed the State of the Union. How is the State of the Union this morning? I, I got to be perfectly honest. I didn't even watch Biden's State of the Union, mostly because I don't find those talks to be especially useful. They're usually trying to rally Americans behind some vague foreign threat. And in this case, the, the threat was China. In fact, I did see a headline that said that uh, Biden believes that fighting China will unite us all. And that that's the cure to America's polarization problem. Uh, 
And part of that, part of this whole spectacle of the balloon was a way to sort of crystallize American public opinion against China. Now, there are all, all sorts of questions about how this balloon got as far as it did. Um, there are reports that uh, similar balloons have actually appeared over the United States. Uh, I believe it was three during the Trump administration, but no one really made a big deal of, about it. Um, and they made a big deal about this one. You know, they sent a, a war plane to shoot it out of the sky. And one of the troubling yeah, the things F-22, about this is, yeah, yeah, an F twenty two. One of the troubling things about this is that we learned. Uh, I can't remember the paper that reported this, but we learned that China had refused a call from the Pentagon after the downing of this balloon. Well, that's interesting, but why did the U.S. only try to call after the downing of the balloon? Why did they not call before? Why did they not try and? Uh, you know, do diplomacy like adults do, like serious countries do. Uh, instead, they shot first and asked questions later. And apparently China didn't really take kindly to that. And they rejected uh, calls from the, the United States. And so this is all part of this, both this balloon and the Nord Stream pipeline and the proxy war in Ukraine. All of this is part of the new Cold War in which America, a failing empire, tries to assert its dominance in the world against, you know, the rising uh, global south, against the rising BRICS bloc. And part of the way they do that is by mobilizing their populations to accept greater tensions with China. Uh, and, you, and you see it in the military planning. I mean, there were just war games, uh, you know, high-level generals and, uh, you, you know, the big, the big imperial planners, they got together. And they gamed out what would happen in the event of a uh, Chinese attack on Taiwan, something that would only happen if the U.S. continued doing what it's doing now. And the results weren't very uh, they, they weren't very kind to the United States. And the, the results of those gains were that they recommended uh, having new bases, new missile placements, new troop placements in Japan and the Philippines. And, well, if you look over the last couple of weeks, that's exactly what the U.S. is starting to do. And the sad part is that in the Western media, you you always see this framed as the U.S. opens military bases with the aim of countering China's aggression. Well, I mean, if you look at a map of all the U.S. military bases and how close they are to China, a serious person would laugh at the suggestion of, quote unquote, Chinese aggression. I mean, uh, it, it, it's laughable. It, it hardly even merits a response. But this is the state of American media. This is the state of American political discourse. And there is no one in a high position of authority that's even challenging this. There's no one who's saying, you know, maybe we shouldn't try to start a war with the entire rest of the world. Maybe we should try and seek a serious solution to our problems with China, a serious solution to our problems with Russia. The progressive Democrats in the U.S. Congress, uh, you might remember this. They actually caught an enormous amount of flack for uh, releasing a letter that it was the mildest, most tepid of calls for diplomacy. It wasn't even a call to end the massive amounts of aid that we're sending to Ukraine. It wasn't a call to refocus uh, American uh, American funds to uh, the domestic front. It wasn't a call to to do anything different with American empire. It was a call to maybe think about 
talking about diplomacy. And they all disavowed it. They said that this isn't us. Oh, we would never say such a thing. We would never question uh, the wisdom of a Ukrainian proxy war. Uh, and so that's the state of the left right now. No, that one person, well, actually one person did come out and say that they, uh, that they stood by the letter and that's Ro Khanna. Um, you know, good for him. We have one guy. Um, but you know, that's, that's the state that we're working with. Um, and talking about these things, talking about the absurdity of the balloon, talking about the complicity of the U.S. in the, uh, the Nord Stream pipeline and talking about the insanity of this proxy war that could lead us to nuclear war is the first step to educating the public to the point where they can actually credibly oppose these policies from their government. You can't oppose something if you don't know it exists. And if you watch the American media, you don't know it exists. And that's why we have, uh, you know, alternative media. Uh, people people like you, like, uh, like all of the anti-war voices that are marginalized in Western media. Uh, that's what makes it so important. Bryce Green, you are the LeBron James of the broadcasting world. And thank you for these slam dunks on the mother of all talk shows this evening. A comment on YouTube on that interview with Bryce. Reckless Abandon says, this guy, Bryce Green, sounds like a young Colonel McGregor. And Nicholas Byrne says, bring Bryce back, George. He is a good one. He's a good one, all right, and it won't be long, I hope, before he's back with us. A staggering number of people have voted on this poll. Uh, Post-earthquake, should all sanctions against Syria be lifted? On uh, Twitter, yes, 84%, no, 16% from the sadomasochistic community. And on YouTube, it's yes, 97%, no, 3%. Telegram, yes, 98%, no, 2%. And on the YouTube community poll, it's yes, 95, no, 5. And uh, well over 15,000 people have voted. Let's take some more calls. Ron in London on political injustice. Go ahead, Ron. Hello, Mr. Galloway. It's an honor to talk to you. The honor is mine. Thank you. Go ahead. No, I, I admire your integrity, morality, and your honesty. And not at the same level as, I, as you are. I always try to fight for the, you know, for the people or the underdog or the injustices. My passion uh, has been for the past about the Palestinian situation. I've followed it relatively closely, not as much as you have. But I, I feel so sad that what... Do the Americans need to, is there a line that the Americans will say to the Israelis, enough is enough? When you look at the persecution, the treatment, the inhumane behavior of the Israelis, I've actually been banned from Twitter because of any criticism, obviously, no matter how minor it is, you get warnings and eventually they completely ban you. When you know, when you look at the injustice, what's happening in Palestine, and how the Americans support this regime, who really are the terrorists? You know, they call everyone else a terrorist because they oppose American or Israeli or French or British uh, uh, British policy. But I think we are the biggest terrorists. Well, no, we uh, no Palestinian terrorist ever managed to. Uh, commit a terrorist act like the one on the Nord Stream 2 carried out by the United States 
Norway and other satrapies of the U.S. empire. Uh, there's terrorists and there's terrorists. It's like the uh, wonderful uh, uh, story that's told in City of God by St. Augustine in which he describes an encounter between Alexander the Great and the pirate captain. Alexander ordering the pirate captain to halt demands, how dare you terrorize these waters as a thief? And the pirate answers, how dare you terrorize the whole world with your great navy, call yourself an emperor and call other men as you please. That's the world that we live in where those who are called the terrorists are the victims of terrorism and those doing the name-calling are themselves the terrorists. Thank you, Ron, for the opportunity to recall that. Another YouTube comment, Richard White would like to know, would you consider Bryce Green for Moats America? I've got a contract written right now, Richard. Uh, Sean is on the line from Bournemouth on the Ukraine. Go ahead, Sean. Good evening, George. Um, having studied... Uh Russian culture uh, quite a bit and having visited many times. Um, I do find it quite strange and bizarre how the anti-Russian movement um, has actually come about um, mm. and, and how it's got to this point. Um, I find it quite extraordinary that, um, again, uh, the Western media will not uh, cover this, but uh, one of the first people to provide um, people, equipment to the Syrian um, and Turkish uh, earthquake uh, event it was actually Russia. Uh, but you don't actually hear any of this um, being spoken about. Um, I think it's got something to do with film, media, uh, and actually, strangely enough, very shortly after the Second World War, um, which I find even more bizarre, given that, you know, more than 20 million uh, Russians suffered, died um, to help us um, in the West, uh, in Europe. Um, I, I think it's come to a point where it's... Uh, sad when you look at politics today, you look at um, European politics, Western politics in particular, and you just look at how they're behaving, um, when actually, far as I'm concerned, people can disagree. But uh, you look at the likes of Lavrov, uh, they're true statesmen in the way they behave, they handle themselves, uh, they answer questions in a succinct um, direct manner, um, and I just just going on a bit further. If you, I don't know what we're thinking of um, in providing more weapons uh, for this uh, Ukraine uh, situation. Uh, it's leading us into complete and utter madness. I think we're already there anyway. Um, but you only have to look at the. GDP, the debt versus GDP of Russia, the UK, and, and Europe. Um, and just to give you some of those numbers, and I'm sure you already know them, George, the, the Russian government debt to GDP is 13.4%. Uh, 
The UK currently sits at 88%, and Europe in general is 85%. Now, you don't have to be an Einstein to work out that we are in big trouble if this continues for much longer. And a further case in point I think that's uh, is, a wonderful... Uh, yeah, well, give me one more case in point, and then I'll respond. Absolutely. Just sorry, just one more case in point. And I think if you look at the amount of money that the UK itself has actually put into um, Ukraine, which is £2.3 billion, pounds, uh, I believe, um, well, given the nurses' situation at the moment, uh, that would go to pay for the nurses' pay rise, which actually would help us all in the UK. In the UK. And, and, and as far as Bryce was concerned, brilliantly put, and my last comment would be, as I've actually said once before or written on your show before, compared to America, Tiller the Hun was a Red Cross volunteer. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Sean, that's an excellent uh, call. I would respond to it shortly, although I would like to do so at length, uh, because of the hour. The show will continue to 11.05 at least to make up for the time we lost at the beginning, but we are running out of time. It is not necessary to love Russia and Russians. As it happens for a whole series of historical reasons in my life, I do love Russia and Russians, but it's not necessary to do so. I have loved Russia all of my life because I was born in the shadow of the Second World War. I learned very early in my life that uh, I would have had no life if not for the Russians, if not for their army, the Red Army, which in Mr. Churchill's words, and I was born under the premiership of Winston Churchill, uh, broke the back of the Nazi war machine. King George of England sent a ceremonial sword to be presented to Stalin uh, in commemoration of the victory at Stalingrad exactly 80 years ago this very week. Uh, and uh, because of that, I uh, grew greatly attached to Russia and Russians, to their music, to their ballet, uh, to their literature, uh, to their character. I traveled widely and often in Russia and indeed throughout the former Soviet Union. And I will never fall out of love with those people and that part of the world. But that's just me. Regard me and my house as a kind of, I don't know, a museum. Forget about all the things that make me love Russia. Our own national self-interest has been entirely sacrificed to the demands of an imbecilic, geriatric, almost certainly Alzheimer-stricken U.S. President, Joseph Biden. This is a crime against our country, not Russia, our country. It's a crime against our national interest, which has been carried out by our politicians, who send forces to defend the Polish border with Belarusia, but cannot field forces in the English Channel to stop 65,000 illegal migrants about whom we know nothing and on whom we will expend 
for an indeterminate period of time into the future, tens of millions of pounds in hotel bills to accommodate them, though we know nothing about them, whether they are decent and good, honest and true, or criminal, or jihadist, or any other attribute. And of course, like any other section of any community, there will be some of all of these in amongst that cohort. 65,000 this year, 75,000 last year, 72,000 the year before. That's a very large city of illegal migrants that the British Armed Forces were not deployed to halt and turn back under a so-called conservative government. Our energy, our industrial manufacturing capacity has been utterly sacrificed, slaughtered on the altar of the interests of the United States of America. And for us, multiply many times for the people of Germany. I'm going to be paying much more attention over these next weeks to Germany. I'm going to do everything I can to try and educate, organize, agitate the German people to rise up against this servitude, this national humiliation to which they have been subjected. If our national interest has been sacrificed, the German national interest has been annihilated has been systematically murdered by the United States with the assistance of the rats that follow the elephant feeding on its droppings. Copy uh, comment from J.J. Gill on YouTube. Never quite loved a phone-in live show like this one. It is so bloody desperately needed. Thank you, J.J. Gill. The next 10 super chats, here they are. Remember to donate. Tax Dodger, 125. Charlie O, 179. Articulate as always, Mr. G. Legend. Thanks, Charles. Sangar Nasrat, Australian dollar, 1499. Longer range weapons will only motivate Russia to push deeper into Ukraine so as to create the equivalent territorial buffer and therefore is a tool of escalation. Quite so. Golden silence, two U.S. dollars. Well said, GG. A degenerates welcoming one of them. Jerry Jacobs, £8.99. I spent the afternoon listening to Roger Waters' address to the United Nations Security Council, which was moving. Some of the representatives agreed, but there were some snidey responses from others, including the U.K. and the U.S. I haven't even had time to speak about the one and only and great Roger Waters, our national hero who was attacked this week by another prick in the wall of shame, his former bandmate, David Gilmore, who didn't have the balls to do it himself and put up his wife to do it on his behalf. But I promise you that Roger will be here just as soon as possible to deal with these matters himself. 
A lot of people are asking about my mug. Nobody paid me to brandish it. It's not sponsorship. It's the opposite. It's me backing a British band called Bradford, whose debut album is an absolute masterpiece. Check them out. Cheers, Bradford. Back to the lines. John on the Isle of Wight, talking about Zelensky in Parliament. Go ahead, John. Good evening, George. It's the first time I've spoken to you, but I admire you very much. Um, I think you're. God a good bless you. Thanks, man. John. Uh, I'm just you. so disgusted that we've got Zelensky in our Houses of Parliament. Mind you, I do think maybe it's the right place for him because. Uh, <laughs> you took the words uh, right out of my mouth. Where else could well, he be but in the burlesque bordello of the Palace of Westminster? Where else would he perform, John? It's exactly the sort of place he should be, along with the other uh, whores, prostitutes well, and comic singers there. Well, I, I'm old enough just to remember the Nazis during the Second World War. I was evacuated. They were trying to kill me. They were bombing everywhere, and I've survived. But if I, I, I just feel that what, what are we, have we? Did Hitler win? Have we got Nazi government? We've got the opposition. That none of them are any different. They, they, they just disgust me. There's nothing I can say to that. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put it in a bottle and I'm going to send it as a message across the entire world. Yours is the call of the night, of many a night. John on the Isle of Wight. Well, it's 11 o'clock and they tell me it's time for me to wrap up. Those who sought to sabotage our show have completely failed. It is a show that has rung out like a shot around the world and I believe in time to come uh, will be remembered. As indeed we're on a run now. That's why they're trying to stop us. We are now reaching regularly one million viewers a week. A kick in the backside off one million last week and over one million this week. That's a target worth trying to bring down for the liars and deceivers and bombers and stabbers and gunmen and industrialized liars uh, that rule the world and that run behind those that rule the world as hired guns or fools. Some of them are just fools look at social media, you'll find many an idiot following them, whose backside is probably hanging out of their own trousers, who don't have two halfpennies to rub together, who get nothing from the empire that the powerful have built. But most of them are on the payroll. Uh, but they have failed. They have failed to stop the rise and rise of the mother of all talk shows. And that's because we let you speak. 
John in the Isle of Wight, who just spoke to you, is an old man whom the Nazis tried to kill in the Second World War. He had to be evacuated, and he asked the question live on air, did Hitler win? And that crystallized the question that ought to be increasingly in the minds of all of you, of all of us, and of all of us who have not yet found this show so far. Did Hitler win? Are we really a democracy? Or is it just a lipstick on the face of a pig? A lipstick which no longer affordable, became first smudged, stained and smeared, and has now all but been excised. Borrow, he who described Europe as a garden, and the people outside Europe as living in the jungle. Nobody, by the way, told them that we don't regard Hispanics as quite European enough. Bit dusky, do you know what I mean, Joseph? But as you identified yourself, Joseph Borrow, with the garden of Europe and designated the rest of the world a jungle, you need to know this, that the people of the rest of the world are not prepared to put up with your hegemony, your domination, your exploitation, your colonization anymore. The rest of the people of the world have risen up and voted with their feet, with their pocketbooks, with their investments, and with their purchasing decisions. They're not sanctioning China. They're not sanctioning Russia. As a matter of fact, they're trading with both like Billy O. More than half of the people of the world have joined the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, and many people in the West have never even heard of it. More than half the people of the world, more than half the wealth of the world, is in an organization that most of the people in the West have never even heard of. The SEO, the rising bricks, the tectonic plates have indeed shifted. Up with us, the rest of the world will no longer put. And so, if we're to save anything from this wreckage, from this political earthquake that has struck the world, we have to persuade our fellow citizens that our leaders have betrayed us, that they have led us into this disaster. And we are not going to go down with their ship. We intend to fight to save our countries, our societies, and that which was and is good about them. I'll start that tomorrow night in the Oxford Union against the Secretary of State for Defence and the head of the British Army. When the Oxford Union releases the actuality on video, I fully expect it to break the internet. I'll be back, God willing, on Sunday at 7 p.m., UK time for the mothership, the Sunday mother of all talk shows. Please bring another viewer with you. If every one of you brings one more viewer, just one, 
we'll have two million watching the show. I bid you all a hearty good night.